Yes, 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 people. It is the last echo, came, ugh, echo chamber of 2023. And as we do, we will be starting things off with a look at the UK box office top 10 the weekend of the 24th to the 26th of December. So, what was number one for Christmas, people? Well, at number 10, we have got the Polar Express. This is directed by Robert Zumeckis, who co-wrote with Chris Van Alsberg. We've got Tom Hanks, Leslie Hunter Zumeckis, Eddie Deason, Norna M. Gay, Peter Scolari, Brendan King, Andy Pelek, Josh Eli. At number nine, It's a Wonderful Life, right? People seem to love this film at Christmas. Directed by Frank Capra. It is written by Albert Hackett and Francis Goodrich. Starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, Lionel Barrymore, Thomas Mitchell, Henry Travers, Bulla Bundy, Frank Phelan, Ward Bond. So, our number eight film, <laughs> it's another of the Christmas joints. It is Home Alone. Chris Columbus, John Hughes. What a combination, right? Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, John Hurd, Roberts Blossoms, Catherine O'Hara, Angela Gufferlers, Devin Ratchery, John Candy. You know what I mean? Everyone doing their thing. So, at number seven, it's The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snake. Francis Lawrence is back directing And we got Michael Leslie Michael Arndt And Susan Collins on the script Rachel Zegler Tom Blythe Viola Davis Dexter Sol Ansel Rosa Gutzler Clemens Schrucht Fornola Flanagan Hunter Schaefer All do their thing So at number six Another Christmas classic. It is Elf, John Favreau, and David Burnabom. On this one, Will Farrell, James Kahn, Bob Nehart, Edward Anza. Show me where it spits. Marv Stinbergen, Zoe Deschanel, Daniel Tay, Fazian Love, Peter Dinklish, Amy Sedaris, all doing their thing. We're now in the top. For, for five and the number five joint this week is Salah, right? This is from Prashana Nell, who co writes with Chandri Hanuman and Sandeep Reddy Banda. So it's starring Prabhas, Pravanja Sakaman. Struti Husan, Jaga Babau, Tanu Anand. Right, the number four joint is the new Disney animation Wish from Chris Buck and Form Fawn 
Versenfun. Buck also co-writes with Alison Moore and Jennifer Lee. We have Evan Peters, Chris Pine, Alan Truk, Arena Dubas, Harvey Gullion, Victor Garber, Angelique Cabral, Rami Youssef, Della Selba, all loaning their voices out. At number three, it's Dunki. Right, this is from Raj Kumar Hirani, um, who also co-writes with Abrajat Jushi and Kanika Dillon. It's starring Tapan Panu, Borman Arani, Shah Rakh Khan, uh, Vicky Kashal, Dia Mirza. So number two, it is the return of Aquaman in Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, right? James Wan directs and co-writes with David Leslie Johnson McGoldrich, supposedly as well, Jason Momoa. Um, Momoa stars along with Ben Affleck, Patrick Wilson, Yaya Abdul-Matton II, Dolph Lundgren, Tamura Morrison, Nicole Kidman, Jani Zou, Amber Heard, Vincent Regan, Randall Park. So the number one film this Christmas. And to close out 2023, it's Wonka. Paul King directs and co-writes with Simon Farnaby. Starring Timothy Chalamet, Olivia Coleman, Hugh Grant... Patterson Joseph, Sally Hawkins, Keegan-Michael Key, Matthew Baton, Rowan Atkinson, um, Matt Lucas, Rahi Fracker, Natasha Rothwell. <sighs> Supposedly, it is very, very good. That's it. Right, we are, um, you know what I mean? We are done with our top 10. So it's time to get into this week's films. We got some old ones and a new one. So um, people, buckle up and let's go. One last time for 2023. Okay, so let's start things off with a DC joint. It's Shazam, Fury of the Gods. Okay, people, so I decided to check out Shazam Fury of the Gods, which was a weird one because I didn't finish Shazam. It irritated me way too much, so I never got around to fishing it. But friends had told me this was better, so I listened to them, which is one of my flaws. It is directed by David F. Sandberg, written by Henry Gayden, and Chris Morgan, okay? The film is then produced by um, Peter Safran, right? Who then went on bec to become joint CEO of DC, right? It's executive produced by Richard Brenner, Walter Hamada, Jeff Jones, David Neustrader, Victoria Palmieri, 
um, Adam Sholgum and Marcus Viscadi. It is co-produced by Dana Robin. Uh, Christopher Beck handles the music. Gula Pados, cinematography. Michael Alla edits the piece. Rich Delia was on casting duties. Paul Kirby, production design. Um, set decoration is Danielle Berman. Uh, Audrey Avery, Cameron Baisley. Sean D. Bronson, Laura C. Cox, Brittany Heights, Joseph Nadu, and Cassidy Shipley all were on art direction. And Louise Mingebach was costume design. Okay, so our cast. Well, I mean, you know, obviously, right? From the first film, we've got... Um, Asher Angle as Billy Badson and Zachary Levi as Shazam. Right, there is Freddie Freeman played by Jack Dylan Grazier. Amphia, well, the superhero Freddie is played by Adam Brody. Right, then there is Eugene Chow played by Ian Chen and his super. Hero Alter Ego is played by Ross Butler. There is um, Pedro Pena, played by Jovan Armand. And DJ Cotorna plays the older version of him. We've got Mary Broomfield, played by Grace Caroline Kirby. She plays her own superhero, Mary. Right, we've got um, Darla Dudley, played by Faith Herman, and Megan Good is her superhero alter ego. Right, um, they're the parents, Victor Vasquez, played by Cooper Andrews, and Marta Millens is his wife, Rosa Vasquez. Right, we've got um do, 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 do. Hmm. Uh, Brett Beyer played by Carson McCormack Burke Beyer played by Evan Marsh um, Taylor Cahill is a Wonder Woman iteration we've got uh, who else do we have? Mm -mm -mm. Uh, Dr. Dario Bova, played by PJ Bine. Mr. Geckel, played by Diedrich Bada. Ducot, played by Rizwan Manj. Um, Hesperia, played by Helen Mirren. Uh, Calypso, played by Lucy Liu. And Anthea, played by Rachel Ziegler. Then there is The Wizard, played by Tijmon Hudson. 
So the gist of the story, bestowed with the powers of the gods, Billy Batson and his family of foster kids are still learning how to juggle teenage life with their adult superhero alter egos. When a vengeful trio of ancient gods arrives on Earth in search of magic stolen from them long ago, Shazam and his allies get thrust into a battle for their superhero powers, their lives and the fate of the world. So, with this, right, there's a lot of big effects and everything like that. There's the gods, the mythical creatures. I love Greek mythology, you know what I mean? So, I should like it. And I, I can see how this will work for a family, right, for kids, because the, the big message is family, family sticks together, family supports each other, all of that jazz, that's what it is, believing in yourself, right, not letting anything hold you back, right, and the people who love you will love you for who you are, regardless of anything else, you know what I mean, those are the big messages, so yeah, that's gonna, you know what I mean, that's going to talk to a lot of people. For me, though, the humor felt real forced, real for throwing in Fast and the Furious jokes and just all the like. It was just way too forced. You know, we've got people's allegiances flipping, which then makes you go, so what was this all about? Right, why would you start off with this when you're so quick to then go to that? You know what I mean? We got these old beings with feelings for humans, which is weird. It's weird. And you never really get... I think a big problem I have with love um, not in general, <laughs> just in the way it's depicted in stuff, is you, there's never, oh, that's why, right? It, it's just, you'll have people meet, exchange a word, and then it's just like, oh, now I love you. There's no building, right? It's never on any real foundation or substance, right? Have people conversate for a minute and then maybe they dig it, you know what I mean? It makes more sense, and especially in this situation, <laughs> you know what I mean? You would think, right? <sighs> I mean, right? Because what's a teenage boy know? You know, is it's anyway, anyway, right? There's a lot of Wonder Woman like kind of fantasies in here, which I mean, Billy doesn't really explain, you know, there's nothing why, you know, he digs Wonder Woman. Maybe there was something in the original film and I missed it. But, you know, why Wonder Woman? Which then makes, like, these Wonder Woman bits in the film. She's got this stupid grin on her face all the time. Like, this weird smirk, which is just like what's that about, like, what's happening here, it's very bizarre, very bizarre, right, the names for the superheroes, kids with speed power, like, guy with, 
I mean, it's pretty fucking obvious that these aren't normal people. I think anyone, and anyone following these kids, you could work out, oh, you're thingy, you're that one, you're that. They don't really hide, right? There's bits when they're shout, walking around going, Billy, Billy. You know, it's like, you're using the proper name? Like, do you want everyone to know? Like, what, what's happening here? And then we get this horrible thing with unicorns. I mean, it's referenced all the way through. And it's just, I hated it so much. I hated it. Ugh. I imagine a little kid might dig it, though. Right? So if they do, that's great. It's not, this film wasn't made for me, you know? So I can see how it works. But these just things I did not enjoy. <laughs> Didn't. There's so many stupid things in here. The secret lair and the doors and just, I'm just like these people have had powers for how long, and they're still acting like fools, right? I'm, I'm just like you would try and learn, or the wizard would take the powers or what? You know what I mean? I this is the thing, right? Ah. Uh, it's weird. It's it's weird. It makes no sense to me, but it may have to you, right? It may do to a bunch of little kids, to a family, you know. So, yeah, I'm now going to go and hunt down all the people that told me this was a good film and exact a revenge on them. Uh, but, people, you can find Shazam, Fury of the Gods, on all of your favorite VODs, right? Um, but yeah, that's it for that side of the DC, you know what I mean? That commands the last one, so it'll be interesting to see what comes with Superman Legacy and the films and animations TV after that point. I'm curious, we'll see. But yeah, uh, if I only I could say Shazam and it would all disappear. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm going to be stuck with this memory forever. All right, people, that's my take on Shazam, Fury of the Gods. And now we have got the Super Mario Brothers movie. Well, the year's winding down, but was able to get in the Super Mario Brothers movie. Yes. So this is, um, it's directed by Aaron Horvath, Michael Jelinek, Pierre Leduc, and Fabian Pollock. It is written by Matthew Fogel. The film is produced by Christopher... Mela Dandri, Shigeru Miyamoto, six produced by Yazuk Bepu, Brett Hoffman, and Bill Ryan. It's associate produced by Robert Taylor and Kelly Lake, 
and co-produced by Christelle Balcon, Kuji Kondo and Brian Tyler handled the music. Uh, Eric E. Osmond is on editing duties. Gilamu Arestes production design. Art direction is Matteo Guzelin. And now the voice cast. Okay, so we have got Chris Pratt as Mario, Charlie Day as Luigi, Charles Marinette is Mario's dad and Giuseppe. Uh, Mario's mom is voiced by Jessica DeSisio. Princess Peach is voiced by Anna Taylor Joy. We've got Toad, um, voiced by Keegan Michael Key. The Toad General is voiced by Eric Boozer. Um, Uncle Tony is Reno Romaro. Uncle Arthur is John DiMaggio. Uh, Spike is Sebastian Maniscalco. We've got the Penguin King, Kyrie Payton. Uh, Kamek is Kevin Michael Richardson. Bowser is Jack Ball. Who else do we have? Donkey Kong is Seth Rogen. Cranky Kong is Fred Armisen. Luma Lee is Juliet Jalink. Cooper General is Scott Menville. Uh, yeah, that's the, the main cast. With a lot of other people doing different voices. There's Chris Summer. Nisa Ward, Nora Wyman, Lee Shorten, Noreen Reardon, Eric E. Osmond, Daniel Mora, Jeremy Maxwell, Phil Lamar, etc. etc. Now the um the gist right a book a plumber named Mario travels through the mushroom kingdom with a princess named Peach and an anamorphic mushroom named Toad to find Mario's brother Luigi and to save the world from a ruthless fire-breathing Cooper named Bowser. Yeah! <laughs> I don't feel if you do not know the game, you have no clue what the hell any of that means. Right? I, Mario was big growing up. I was terrible at those games. I never played it. Never played it. Didn't have a Nintendo. I was a Commodore 64 kid. Yeah. Those, those are the cool ones, people, if you don't know. That's what the cool kids had. Commodore 64s. Yes. <laughs> Dizzy the motherfucking egg. Boy. Man, those are the days, right? You know, as I said, it was big. It was all over the place. There was the horrendous... <laughs> horrendous 90s film with Bob Hoskins. Um, 
and yeah, that was bad. So it was it was interesting to see. Okay, what are they going to do with this now? When you learn it was going to be an animation, I mean that opens up a lot of possibilities, right? Opens up a lot of possibilities. So yeah, a load of people when it dropped said it was good. I'm watching this and I feel. If you love the game, yeah, this probably hits all those marks, right? There's, it looked like they were referencing a load of like the power-ups, you know, eating a mushroom. Um, there was Mario Kart in there, you know, Donkey Kong. There's a just it seemed like all the staples were there now. Obviously, that's someone that didn't play the games, and I could pick up on all of those things. So I imagine if you played the game, man, there was a whole heap of things there for you. Now, on a film story point of view, it didn't really make much sense. I didn't really think it made much sense. Now, look, the gist being he's trying to save Luigi right? That's fine. But just a lot of the things that went down, like the very beginning part of them recording an advert, you know, trying to get business, not really needed. None of the first, I don't know, was it 15, 20 minutes? Wasn't needed. It, it just seemed like some pointless stuff to fill out the start of the film, you know? It's very bizarre. The whole dog thing in the bathroom, again, very bizarre. Like, what are we doing with this? You know what I mean? So all of that's weird. But then they end up in this magical kingdom, which is all fine. It's a bit weird having the, you know, the thing which they discover, because it's kind of because it was huge, so it's a bit like, how would no one know? And also, if it's not being used for all them years, there should be cobwebs and dust all over the shop. But it was just all shiny clean, which you know, come on, man, come on, what are we doing? What are we doing? Then with the right, it looks like a backstory to Peach which, again, don't know the games, don't know if it's been established or anything like that, but you kind of, I was just wondering, why would these people make her their, their queen? Why wouldn't one of them be king and queen? That, that seemed odd. Like, she seemed like she was, like, all whimsical about, you know, Oh, you come from here. Oh, you know your parents. I don't know where I'm from. But it's just like, did you ever look? Because if you're the queen, you can essentially do what the fuck you want. So have you looked? Like, there seems no restrictions to stop you from looking. So, yeah, we just have these things that don't necessarily make any sense. Why peach? You're, you're living in a place full of mushrooms. You didn't know your name. 
why would they call you Peach? You know what I mean? I'm like, what? what is all of this? And then the adventures to get to certain things, to do certain things, it just seemed to be to add in elements, right? Elements from the game, like Mario Kart and jumping around and powering up and all of that kind of jazz. Like, oh, so in the game, we have him as a flying raccoon. Let's put that in here. We've had him be this, so let's put that. Seems a lot of that, which is, you know, it, it, it's fine when it means something. But to a layman, it really did seem that it was just ways to shoehorn these things in. So for me, I, I was a bit kind of bored, really. You know, I don't. It was just a bit like, because it, it's not a long film. It's an hour and a half, but it did feel like it dragged. Did feel like it dragged. But here's the jam. I didn't play the game, and I don't play video games anymore. So I d I'm not the target audience for this. You know what I mean? And I imagine the target audience would like it, right? So... This film, the people that enjoy the game, right? The people that liked the Dungeons and Dragons film. You know what I mean? It's for those, right? The people that like the Lego movie, Wreck-It Ralph. If you're in that camp, then uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie is definitely going to work for you. Right, for kids, yeah, it seems to, it would probably play. It's not offensive, it's not crude, it's pretty, you know, vanilla. So I'm sure kids will enjoy it. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Story made it. And especially at the end, because the, there didn't seem to be a, uh, what's going on? How the fuck is this happening? What? It's just like, yeah, yeah, go. You're just like, so no one is talking about the elephant in the room. <laughs> or should I say the toad, the monkey, the, the mushroom? Like, no one's talking about them. So that's odd. It's very odd. But yeah, people, wasn't made for me, which is fine might have been made for you so if you love a video game a video game inspired film then mario brothers people it's all over the place on all your favorite vod's so enjoy <laughs> things are getting trippy people it's infinity pool So, I've been looking to watch Infinity Pool for a while. I had no clue what to expect, to be honest with you people. No clue. 
So, um, yeah, very much blown away by this. Right? It's directed oh, and written by Brandon Cronenberg. The film is produced by Rob Cotterill, uh, Andrew Sivino, Sividio, um, Jonathan Halperin, Karen Hamish, Anita Juka, Daniel Kresmany, Noah Siegel, and Christina Pivisenen. It's executive produced by Maria Zuckerman, Emily Thomas, Alexander Skarsgård, Tom Quinn, uh, Hengamuf Pan Panahi, Charlotte Mickey, Laurie May, Adrian Love, Emily Colasa, Ryan Heller, Jeff Duchman, Brandon Cronenberg, and Michael Bloom. It is co-executive produced by Brendan Gunn. And it's associate produced by Jonas Strauss, Laura Sinovich, Lagos Nagy, Ivona Juka, Karim Hassan, and Ryan Bobkin. So Tim Hecker handles the music. Karim Hassan, cinematography as well. James Vandoz Walter edits the piece. While Mark Bennett and Deidre Bowen were on casting duties. Zosiah McKenzie, production design. Art direction is Clara Farkas and John O'Regan. Set decoration is Rita Hetanel. And costume design is Maria Fatter. Okay, so the cast. Well, Alexander Skarsgård is James Foster. His wife, M, is played by Cleopatra Coleman. We then have got Album Buer, played by Jalil Lespart. His wife, Gabby played by Mia Goff. There's um, Jennifer, played by Amanda Brugel. Uh, Dr. Bob Modan, played by John Ralston. Charles, played by Jeffrey Ricketts. Bex, played by Caroline Bolton. Uh, Detective Frash, played by Thomas Kretschmann. Um, who else do we have? Uh, there's Ketch, played by Adam Bonchk. Um, we've got 
Myro's wife, played by Camilla Batso. Uh, his son, played by Christoph Kovacs, and daughter, played by Lena Chuka Stambok. Um, the receptionist is played by Romina Tonkovic. Um, doo -doo -doo. Oh, the, hmm. Yeah, the mistress is played by Anita Majar. Um, the bus driver is played by Oscar Boskic. So the gist of the story. While staying at an isolated island resort, James and M are enjoying a perfect vacation of pristine beaches, exceptional staff and soaking up the sun. But guided by the seductive and mysterious Gabby, they venture outside the resort grounds and find themselves in a culture filled with violence, hedonism, and untold horror. So this is, yo, this is crazy. It really is. Right, there's, so we, we open up and we hear a conversation. It's pitch black, right? And then suddenly, boom, light hits you, right, as M opens up the curtains to their hotel room, which is this kind of blast of reality to the viewer. And, like, their conversation, there's, there is a little something to it, but you're not quite sure what exactly is going on. But as they're leaving the hotel, you kind of, there's cer certain glances between the two, which makes you think, right? It, it makes you think that maybe not all is right here, you know? So they're just going to eat, and that's when Gabby comes over, you know, and she's like, oh, you're James Foster. I loved your book. Oh, you know, and she's talking to her husband. Oh, this is the, the book, the author of the book I love. And they're just talking. And But you can see that this is really, oh, James loves it, right? Because I think he's, he hasn't written anything in a while, right? He, he's struggling to write. So having someone, you know, laud him for his work, especially because the book supposedly didn't sell gangbuster numbers. Yeah, so he's loving it. And it's a young girl, you know. So he, there's certain looks she's throwing him. So when it's like, oh, they're lured to go outside, not really. <laughs> you know what I mean? They go outside because James wants to go outside. He wants to be around Gabby and hear her praise of him all the time. You know what I mean? Which you gotta feel is slightly weird because her husband's right there. And it's not to say that mad inappropriate things are being said, but there's a certain tone to it all. Right, so when they get 
into a predicament, that's when things get super crazy here. Was we get things introduced that are like, wait, what type of film are we watching? You know what I mean? Because it completely then just throws you. But what it does too is open up this discussion, this narrative of what would you do, right? What would you do when there's not really any repercussions? And it really just flips the dynamic flips the dynamic. So it's very interesting that you have James and M to see the counterpoints of this thing. Now, it's not so much in discussions, but it's in the body language. You know, it's in the mindset, the way they carry themselves after this thing. And it's super interesting, right? But then you see it with these other guests, Gabby and her friends. And you're just, man, it is something else. Because not only are we getting these actions, but we're also having like these crazy visuals right? It's kind of psychedelic, trancey, but also it, it's kind of like this altered mental state, right, that you're being thrust into. And we're seeing things that you just be like, you're, you're not necessarily seeing in other films. You, you, you know what I mean? It's like, um, yeah, just the, some of the graphic nature of things, but it doesn't necessarily feel like it's uh, pornographic, but provocative, right? It's getting in your face, being like, yeah, what the fuck are you going to say, right? Yeah, this is, that's what you're seeing right now, and what? What? Oh, are you scared? Are you scared? You know, what are your viewpoints? What do you think of this? Would you do this shit? You know what I mean? That's what it feels like it's doing to you. And you're just like, yo, what the fuck? These people are crazy. Uh, but it, it really does, like, just brashly, you know what I mean, tell this story. It's not a nice story, people. It's not a nice, these aren't nice people. But I think coming out now, especially, I think people will be able to understand this film. Because, you know, you could go, wait, who is doing this, right? Who isn't just leaving? Who isn't removing themselves from that situation? But I think the pandemic really helps spotlight certain behaviors 
and they're not new behaviors, people. It's shit we have seen time and time again. But a lot of people who aren't affected by certain things want to bury their head in the sand and think, oh, the world's not like that. Everything is fine. You know what I mean? But the, when people did shit during the pandemic, it kind of made it front page news because you couldn't go out. So all of these issues were just front and center. And we saw people do things because they thought, oh, I can get away with this shit. You know what I mean? Like the MPs' parties, right? Like in the UK, in the state, every country, you saw politicians and, you know what I mean, just certain famous people think, oh, I can do this shit. And then they got caught. And then it's just like, oh, I can't? Like, what, what, what? Or putting out the, you know, like the song and other crazy ass things, but going, oh, this is what people want to hear. And then everyone's just like, shut the fuck up. But they're just like, wait, what did we do wrong? Huh? But because for years, people would get away with certain behaviors, you know? And I think that's what this shows. If you could get away with certain shit, what would you do? And boy, boy. But it's like the end of this film, I think, was another interesting point because it shows that kind of stark realization, maybe, of the lines that have been crossed and the kind of like, well, what, what do I do now, right? How do you transition back? Can you transition back? What road are you on now, right? Which is interesting. And then you just get slapped in the face with these mad aggressive Frigging credits, which are like it's a crazy red background with just the name of the actor and actress in black, but in repetition. So it's just like boom, boom, boom. You know what I mean? This film just feels like it's unapologetic, and it, it it's definitely the nature of it. Right, the nature of the story, which makes you think about these different situations, think about these different themes, behaviors, all of that. It definitely is kind of um, similar to Possessor, Cronenberg's last film in 2020, which was great. I saw that during the, the, the London Film Festival that year. You know, that was another great film. You know, he's followed it up with this one. Like, so I'd say if you like Possessor, if you liked um, Triangle of Sadness, The Menu, like those type of films, then Infinity Pool definitely will work for you. You will definitely enjoy it. But it is, it's trippy. It's fucked up, you know what I mean, it's in your face, but it's so well done, like the acting is great, 
Like, gotta say, Mia Goth's voice is mad grating. You know what I mean? But it works for that character, right? Because that gets like that coying, fucking, oh, you know, like James. Oh, James. You know, he's just like, ah, shut up. But like, yeah, the acting is great. Like, it, it, it's just the production, the cinematography, just all the things work. All the things work. So, people, yes. Triangle of Sadness, Possessor, The Menu. If you enjoy those, then Infinity Pool is definitely going to be for you. Time for laughter. Oh, people, if you don't know the routine, you need to check it out. Bert Kreiser and the machine. Okay, so the machine dropped on Now TV. So I had to check. I've been looking to check this one out for a while. And ah, so glad I did. So glad I did. It's directed by Peter Atencio, written by Kevin Beagle and Scotty Lands. The film is produced by Atencio, Kale Biter, Bert Kreischer, um, Leanne Kreischer, and Judy Marmel. It's executive produced by Philip Wally. Um, and Jay Ashenfelter. It's co-produced by Jonathan English, associate produced by Tina Landry, and line produced by Maxim Ajoa. Joshua, Joshua? No, Joseph Trapanese took care of the music. Egil Brild, cinematography. Elena Infant edits the piece. Nancy Bishop handled the casting. Aaron Osborne, production design. Art direction, we have Sanja Bulat. Giovanna Milajovic. And Bojana Nikolic. Uh, Mina Burek handles set decoration with Avana Vazic on costume design. So our cast, well, Bert plays Bert, right? Chrysler stars as himself. His dad, Albert, is played by Mark Hamill. The younger Bert is played by Jimmy Totoro. So in this, his wife, Leanne, is played by Stephanie Kurtzboer. Um, there's Irana, played by Eva Babic. Now, her dad, right, is played by Jovan Savic. And the younger version of uh, her dad is played by Vivek Savic. Okay. We have got Irina's brother, Alexi, played by Robert Massa. Um, 
Arena's bodyguard, Sponge, is played by Martin Ford. There's Sasha, um, played by Jess Gabbard. Ashley, played by Rita Bernard Shaw. Uh, the older version of Ashley is... Dum, 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 dum. I just saw it, which is uh, a pain in the ass. Right, Rachel Monikolov. Right, we've got Madison, um, played by T. Wagner. Um, DJ, played by Mindrag Dragovicic. Uh, Burt's Therapist, played by Brian Casp. Uh, we have got... Do, 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 do. Mm, who else do we have? Um, Igor, played by Nikolai Djorkako. Uh, the train Igor, played by Oleg Taktarov. Um, Tatiana, played by Emil Child Villas. Um, Oh, a young eagle played by Marco Nedajakovic. Um, there's Vanya played by Set Sutrand, um, the school teacher, but when we're in the younger Bert world, played by Mercedes de la Cruz. Uh, Big John played by Dorde Simic. And do, 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 do. Who else do we have? Mm, I feel... Oh, Annika, played by Helen Babic. Yeah, I kind of feel we're probably... Um, we're probably there with our main people. Um, Leanne Kreischer does make a cameo as Madison's mum, which was... Uh, that was funny. So the gist of the film is this. Bert's drunken parts catches up with him 20 years down the road when he and his father are kidnapped by those Bert wronged in the past while drunk on a college semester abroad in Russia. So it's crazy this film got done. You know what I mean? Because like Bert told that story you know, the machine story, 2011, 2011, told it on Rogan, right? The JRE experience. He then posts it after being harassed online and it blew up, blew up. And the thing that blew it up the most was because people didn't believe it was true. But then the actual people on that train, his classmates were like, yeah, it's true. Bert's a piece of shit. He robbed us, which just blew everyone's mind, right? And you hear this story a lot, man. And when you go to see um, Bert live and he ends with, like, people want to hear this story from jump. So when he ends with it, you know, it all finishes and he comes back out and he's like, oh, yeah. I was part of the Russia, it, it just blows up. It just blows up. So when word came that he was going to make a film of the machine, it was just like, 
Hmm. How will this work? Right? So I just think the way it all came together, the in to the story was great. It it was great. It just, uh, like, all the stuff at the beginning, you know, showing Bert's life, but then into what would happen if Bert could just continue drinking and spiraling, right? And we just get all of that stuff, which you're just like, oh, shit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people are waiting for those headlines, you know what I mean? Just like, um, what, next year? What's the over-under, you know what I mean? But it... it Oh, man, I just enjoyed the fuck out of this. I really did. And it's, you know, I've, I've seen Burt live a couple of times. You know what I mean? Watched all the specials, the, listened to the podcast. Yeah, I like the comedy. But it, it's not just because I like the comedy. There's plenty of things I've watched from people I enjoy. And it's just like, oh, that doesn't work. Oh, no. So... When I say I like, I really like the fuck out of this, I really like the fuck out of this, people. It was smart. It was clever. It was just undeniably funny, right? Just the, the, the these crazy moments, right? Like the bit at the end when you get a, did I do that? It was just like, oh, shit. <laughs> What? <laughs> that that was just man. That was amusing. That was amusing, man. And just seeing the story brought to like the original story of the machine. So so we do see a lot of that play out in flashbacks, and seeing that come to life. Oh my days. It, it really worked. It really worked well. You know, <laughs> just the spitting in the face and be like, fuck you. This is the machine. <laughs> Man. And Mark Hamill. I've got to say, this is the most I've enjoyed Mark Hamill since the original Star Wars trilogy. You know what I mean? Like, he was legitimately funny. Like, it, it just really worked. Really worked. The bit, there's a bit where it, I swear he, the girl that he supposedly was called Anakin, which I'm like, yo, is that some Freud shit? You know what I mean? Like, you fuck yourself? Like, that was some crazy shit. But, man, everyone was solid. Everyone, like, the girls that played his daughters, his wife, Ashley, you know. I did think Alexi was Cody Rhodes. <laughs> well, I was like, yo, that dude really looks like Cody Rhodes. But no, 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 no. A Russian dude. But, like, the fight scenes. Now, they weren't John Wick level fight scenes, but they were fun. They weren't, they worked even when Bert's fight, like it worked. Like all of these kind of elements, you know, it, it, it came together very well to give us 
this just funny, funny R-rated movie. And that's the big thing, right? We didn't really, it didn't feel like we got punches pulled. You know what I mean? It, it, we got just them being crazy and saying the off-key things that you think, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. I can imagine that going down. You know? And that was, there's too many times when we get these films now and it's just, it feels very watered down. So it's refreshing to get something like this that is just uh, unapologetically funny. You know what I mean? And, and it kind of works with the comedy, right, of Bert's comedy. If you like the stand-up, you will like the film. You know what I mean? Just the made-up adventures feel very true to the real adventures that we know Bert has had, the comments he makes about his wife and daughter, just all of that kind of stuff. It, you know, the therapy sessions were gold. Oh, my God, they were gold. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's like, oh, I've had to wait all this time to watch this film. Man, I wish I could have watched it sooner. Wish I could have watched it sooner, but I'm so glad I got it in because, boy, people, if you have not seen The Machine, you need to see it. It's one of the, 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 the like, when you think of all the good films of the year, I will put the machine up in my list because it was straight good. It was straight good. You know what I mean? It wasn't just, ah, it was okay. It was, it was mediocre. It was fine. No, it's straight good people. So if you want to laugh, right. If you want to smile, if you want some fun, go check out the machine. Like it's not a perfect film. There are some things but you just like, wait, hold on, wasn't her leg just fucked? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? There's people hiding behind desks from bullets. When, in theory, don't do that. You will not survive. A bullet will go through wood. <laughs> but, yeah, on the levels you want this to work, it really does. So, people, get some machine in your life. You will not regret it. And we'll end with a new signature joint soon to drop, right? In January, it is Freelance. Okay, so last signature film of 2023, and it is called Freelance. It is directed by Pierre Morel written by Jacob Lentz. The film is produced by, boy, there's a lot of people, uh, Jacob Lentz, Christopher Milburn, Steve Richards, Rene Tab, and Christopher Tuffin. It is executive produced by Peter E. Strauss, David Robbins, uh, Miguel Palos, Pierre Morel, Lex Miron, 
uh, Walter Justin, Jamie Henderson, Hernandez, Stuart Ford, uh, Maritza Daza, Mark Danon, Kurt Kersey, Danny Chan, and Michael Aretta. It is associate produced by Ryan Basford, uh, Patrick Justin, and Melissa Rico. It is co-produced by Norman Merry, Jake Katoski, uh, Peter Hampton, and Jan Kunet. It is line produced by Carolina Arkinigas, Camilio Bendia, and it is co-executive produced by Michael Ewing. Okay, so um, Elliot Long and Jeff Zanelli handle the music. Cinematography is Thierry Arbogast. Chris Tonic edits the piece, while Elaine Granger was on casting duties. Eugenio Garcia is production design. Diego Garcia is art direction while Juan David Bernal and Rafa Witheringham handle set decoration and Anna Maria Yaria is on costume design. So our cast, Mason Pettis is played by John Cena. Um, his wife Jenny is played by Alice Eve. And his daughter Cassie is played by Molly McCann, not the UFC fighter. There is Claire Wellington, played by Alison Brie. Uh, President Vengas is played by Juan Pablo Raba. Uh, Sebastian Earl is played by Christian Slater. Colonel Jean Kohurst is played by Martin. Kuzaks, uh, Jorge Vasquez, misplayed by Sebastian Islava, General Martinez is played by Mauricio Couture, uh, the village chief is played by Diego Vasquez, um, his son-in-law is played by Nelson Cameo, um, Jeff is played by Charlie Jones. Um, Eduardo Lavato is played by Roberto Cano. Scott is played by Felipe Andres Echavarra. Gigi Love is played by Yusuf Tangarif. Um, Avery Adelson is played by Juliana Aretta. And 
Rajaz is played by Daniel Toro. That is probably our main group of people. Now, there was a bit about the production that I think probably put some light on what this is. So John Cena was already a bona fide superstar in the world of professional sports entertainment when he portrayed the title character in his heart-hitting debut feature, The Marine, in 2006. Since then, he starred in a remarkable range of hit films, outrageous comedies like Blockers, Trainwreck and Sisters, to spectacular action movies, including Fast X, The Suicide Squad, and Transformers Bumblebee. And recently, he earned rave reviews for his comedic performance in HBO Max series Peacemaker. But Cena says he's always wanted to do a continuation of the type of character he played in the Marine. That was my first lead role, and I've often thought to myself, if I could play that kind of character again, how would I do it today? What things would I change, he says. And then I read the script for Freelance, written by award-winning comedy scribe Jacob Lentz, who's penned hundreds of nearly monologues, Nightly monologues for Jimmy Kimmel live. Boy, the action comedy freelance stars Cena and Mason Pettis, a former elite soldier in the special forces who quit the military after a botched mission. Mason Pettis was everything I wanted in a character, says Cena, and I connected with his story as soon as I read the script. Although the Marine and Freelance aren't related at all, Freelance almost felt like an extension of the journey I began in my first movie 17 years ago. It's almost a do-over. When audience initially meet Mason, he's a man with a broken spirit. In the past, he had devoted um, his life to something he truly loved, but then it was taken away from him. And during Freelance, he goes on a journey to figure out his life. What he learns is that as long as you're alive, there's still a purpose waiting for you. And that message is one of the things that drew me to the movie. Hmm. Yes. Ah, actually, I realized I didn't read you the synopsis. Right, it says S Special Forces Operative Mason Pettis is stuck in a dead-end desk job when he reluctantly takes on a freelance gig to provide private security for washed-up journalist Claire Wellington. As she interviews the ruthless but impeccably dressed dictator Juan Vengas. When a military coup breaks out, just as she's about to get the scoop of a lifetime, the unlikely trio must figure out how to survive the jungle and each other in order to make it out alive. Hmm. Okay. So I think a big selling point is supposedly the fact that um, the director of the uh, film, Pierre Morel, directed Taken and Peppermint, which 
Mm, I guess it all depends on how much you enjoyed those films, really, right? Now, as I said, Cena says, you know, he's, he, he was looking at his character as being on a journey, right? Being on a journey, which is like, oh, cool, cool. I don't know if any of that is overly clear, right? Now, at the beginning, and I say this for reasons, because at the beginning, we have, we see some events and we hear Cena kind of giving a, you know, a monologue. And he's talking about how, you know, he left school, didn't really know what to do, so he studied law. But when he's virtually about to kind of, you know, graduate, he's got a vision of what his life is potentially going to be. And he wasn't a fan. Didn't want any of that stuff. A dead-end marriage, a, you know, a job he doesn't really dig, people hanging around who he doesn't really like, just all of these things. So he joins the army, right? Then does well, gets into special forces, and he's found his family, found his calling, until one fateful day they're going to assassinate someone and get blown up. Right, which part and parcel of the job, especially when you're gonna go trying to assassinate someone, is believe it or not, not everyone wants to be assassinated. Yes, but after that, right? So he gets injured and he goes into all of these things, which he we, at the very start he says he doesn't want, right? So he does the bar, becomes a lawyer gets married. Now, well, I will say, in the monologue of when he joined the army and he's all happy, he gets married. But now, supposedly, the marriage is like the marriage he feared he would be in. But it's never explained why, right? It, it's not explained why this marriage is terrible. It, it You know, he's we have him talking to his daughter and he's just like, oh, I better do it because mum's going to hate me even more than she already does, which is just like, you know what I mean? Just unloading that shit on the kid, never great. But yeah, we never really get a reason why this marriage has suddenly become shit. You know, the marriage that we were supposedly told was great is now shit. And now in an untenable situation, supposedly, Right now, Claire, again, she's supposedly won these awards, but then everything goes wrong for her. And so now she's got this through a friend, a friend who we never meet. We don't really understand what her connection to the uh, dictator is. You know what I mean? It's just this weirdness, right? So we have all of this this weird setup for the film. And obviously, Claire and Mason hate each other at the beginning. So we're not, it's just nothing new. We have no new tropes here or anything. But, I mean, you can get past those things. You know, we don't need all the answers. We don't need, um, you know, just to be like, well, this is, this is it, but just a semblance 
of sense. Just semblance of sense or, or just decent character building is always a plus with this kind of thing. But we just don't, don't really get it. We don't really get it. And we, we just have situations that are just like, wait, huh? It, it's just like, whenever you have journalism, for the most part, journalism depicted in a film, and especially like this, it always just seems like, well, that does not seem like a good journalist to me. Right? Always comes up mad ropey and you're just like, wait, what the fuck? What kind of questions are these? Like, wait, did this person do their research? Like, no one has done any sort of research in this. Mason, right, on the gigs, you know, he's, he's lamenting over something that happened. But some of the information he, he could have got if he had just probably Googled. Right, it's just these weird things, and then everyone's shocked that people know things. And just like, yeah, I did research, and you're like, yeah, obviously there would be research done by that. But like, why is any of this a shock? You know, it, there's a bit when they're riding on horses down a straight road, and these people following them in a car shooting machine guns cannot hit them at all. Now, I understand the action movie conceit, right, of mad bullets flying and no one can hit anything, but at least give us something, like some bends in the road, which they, they can go around, you know what I mean, just something, but when it's a straight road, you're just like, what, what is happening? <laughs> you have people hiding behind wood. Again, bullets, easy, go through wood. You know, there's, there's so many things, right? There's this thing with Claire, and, and, and you're just like, wait, you don't know this person, so why would you even, you know? There's, there's just so many things in this film that don't really make any sense, and just changes of mind with no real information or nothing that you could verify but suddenly everyone to be like oh i've changed now i'm gonna do this and you're like wait what <laughs> like what is happening here especially the end you're just like well this is some bizarre shit there's a bit when vangus picks up some dirt off the ground and he's just like this is the resource I'm holding metals that I'm just like, well, you wouldn't be because you would have to mine those metals. You don't just scoop metals up off the, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, this is very bizarre. It's a very bizarre film. Now, people, if you enjoy stuff like Peppermint, Taken, right, there was a, um, what is it, The Man from Toronto, Right, that Kevin Hart film would be Harrelson. If you like those films, then I think you will like this. I think there was a film with um, Ricky Gervais. I think it was like Foreign Correspondence, 
where someone's pretending to be a war correspondent and then suddenly they're there. I think yeah, that was good. This isn't that. Right. But central intelligence taken, all of them things. If you like those films, then freelance will play into that. Right. Freelance will um, work for you. I would. I would say, right, I, I would definitely say that. So, yeah, it, it, it's kind of like what you were looking for. You know, it's mindless action, you know, so it, it's not going to be, it's not going to set the world alight. Like, there's fight scenes, and there's a bit when they're on the stairs, but it clearly looks like they're photoshopped and they're not, right? They... There's people getting thrown downstairs fighting. And you're just like, wait, you could both break your necks doing this. So why would you deliberately throw yourself when there was other alternatives? <laughs> you know what I mean? Ah, it, it's, yeah, it's mindless. It's mindless action. It's one of those films. So if that's your bag, people, if you like that, then I would say freelance is for you. And you can get it on all your favorite VODs on the 1st of January. So, what are you going to do, people? What are you going to do? Okay, people. So, just about to end this week's episode and uh before we do let's take a look and see what's happening in the world of film shall we now if you're a computer game fan you might be happy to hear that radar pictures is bringing bendy and the ink machine to the big screen right so um i mean i have no clue right i don't do games uh, but this game was released in 2017, and supposedly, it's huge. It's a huge game. Everyone loves it, right? Um, what's it say? We are we the the game follows a retired animator named Henry Stein, who is driven to return to his abandoned animation studio. Stein discovers a series of strange paranormal activities caused by the titular ink machine players participate in combat puzzle solving and more in order to proceed so yeah it's coming to the big screen um and supposedly they're working on a new game as well so uh yeah we'll see what happens don't know if it's gonna be cgi 2d animation or live action maybe a hybrid of the lot who knows um now, something we do know for sure is uh, Derek De Scott Durkinson whew, will be directing the Black Phone sequel. So, uh, yeah, you know, we knew a new film was coming. The first one did great, right? And um, I think many of the original cast will be back. But, yeah. It is now confirmed that Dirksen will also be returning to this new franchise, it would seem. 
You know what I mean? Someone leaving a franchise is Christopher Landon. Yes, he was scheduled to direct Screen Scream Seven, but uh, things are going a bit slashery at that uh, uh, that set. It would seem because Melissa Barrera, right, and Jenna Ortega will not be returning so um the whole you know surviving sister thing that's gone right i i mean you could probably get away well it'd be rubbish but killing one off screen killing both off screen that would just be insane and i do not think people would dig that at all you know so I think if they do make a new screen, use a completely different cast somewhere else. You know what? Go a different country. That would really change things up. And then you could be like the next in screen eight, everyone reunites. Ugh, but why do we need so many? Ugh, I know. It's... uh jarring landon did put out a statement he says i guess now is a good is as good a time as any to announce i formally exited scream seven weeks ago this will disappoint some and delight others it was a dream job that turned into a nightmare and my heart did break for everyone involved everyone but it's time to move on i have nothing more to add to the conversation other than i hope where's his legacy Thrives and lifts above the din of a divided world. What he and Kevin created is something amazing, and I was honored to have even be, even for the briefest moment, basked in their glow. So that is that. Now, a bit of news which I thought that's a relief, right? Was around Ghostbusters Frozen Empire the sequel to Ghostbusters Afterlife, right? So Gil Kane um, has been out doing uh, press and all of this, and he recently said this about the new film, right? Because the Spanker family story drove the narrative in Afterlife, bringing Goza back to center stage was a natural way to close the book on the past. But we are now in the post Gozorian era of Ghostbusters saga. So that means we're able to stretch and create an entirely new mythology. And that's thrilling as a storyteller because there are all new and terrifying stakes with fresh visual references to draw on. Which, boy, because in this one, right, the, the whole Spangler family return to where it started, the New York City farmhouse, to team up with the original Ghostbusters who have developed a top-secret research lab. Meanwhile, an ancient artifact threatens to turn the world into a second ice age. So there seemed elements like it was still going to be fan service, but I think what Gil said Hey, it made me feel right. We're doing new things here, and that—that's great, right? And let us end on this one. So, Lionsgate, you know, because there's all this talk about 
Warner Brothers and Paramount becoming one company, which is insane and won't happen. Um, not in any iteration we see at the moment, there would be some mad diversification of assets if they were to come together, I feel. Um, but I know nothing. <laughs> but one deal that did finally come through is Lionsgate and E1, right? Now, you might think, oh, shit, that means they've got those big franchises like Dungeons and Dragons and Transformers, Power Rangers, Magic. No. No, those weren't part of the deal. So they don't get those. They don't get Play-Doh, My Little Pony, Clue, you know, or some of those other things like Peppa Pig. But they do get Monopoly. <laughs> now, they actually do get some good stuff, right? They get Naked and Afraid, which is huge on reality. Yellow Jackets, which has been killing it on Prime. Um, the Rookie, big on Disney, you know, so they definitely get some big stuff, and that's just not, that's just a few things, right, but they get to add 6,500 films to um, their streaming platform, right, and their IP catalog, so yeah, it's not a bad deal for Lionsgate, really, you know what I mean? And it didn't cost nearly as much as it cost um, Hasbro to buy E1 back just a few years ago in 2019. You know what I mean? They paid, Lionsgate paid 375 mil, which a lot of money. But yeah, Hasbro paid 3.8 billion. So, um, you know, I think Lionsgate come out rosy on this one. But that is it, people. We are done for 2023. But our next echo chamber will be dropping real soon. New Year's Day to be precise. So make sure you um, check it out. Because we will be speaking to the great Avery Kid Waddell. So um, that's a, it's a fun conversation, people. You do not want to miss it. Uh, now, share with your peoples. You know what I mean? Subscribe to the YouTube. Let's make this shit big. And there's, there's some big things coming in January, hopefully. <laughs> but people, enjoy. Share with your friends. Um, let me know your thoughts, right? And I will see you in January. So happy New Year, motherfuckers. And thank you. Thank you so much for uh, helping this motherfucker grow, right? Enjoying the reviews, the conversations we've had with a tremendous bunch of directors, writers, actors, actresses, cinematographers, editors, producers, and the like, man. Thank you for everyone to let me share my views on your films. We appreciate that, right? To all the great PR companies, distributors who have hooked me up this year. Happy goddamn new year, people. See you in 2024.